All right, let me welcome everybody on all of our campuses. Man, we're glad to have you with us. Those of you who are on the live stream, thanks for uh, coming to join us for worship today. Uh, I want to start out by telling you a story of something that happened at 8.17 in the evening on March the 3rd, 1943. Air raid sirens started blasting through the air in London, England. Taxi cab drivers pulled over to the side of the road. Buses started emptying out all their passengers. Motorists slammed on brakes. People started looking at the sky and running. Uh, some fell face first on the sidewalk. Uh, others just covered their heads and ran. Others yelled, here, here they come. Uh, gunfire could be heard in the distance as anti-aircraft crews began to launch rockets. People were looking up at the sky, searching for these Nazi airplanes. And the fact that nobody saw anything did not dampen the panic at all. Then people raced toward the Bethnal uh, Green Underground Station. More than 500 citizens of uh, London were already there. Uh, in the next 10 minutes, 1,500 more people would join them. Trouble began when the panicked crowd all arrived at the entryway at the same moment. There was a young mother there carrying a baby, and she was trying to hurry down 19 uneven steps, and she lost her balance and fell. When she stumbled, it interrupted the flow of oncoming traffic, causing kind of a domino uh, of people to tumble in on top of her and her child. Uh, matters got worse when the late arrivers thought that they were being deliberately blocked from the entryway to the underground and they were not being blocked, but they decided to just push their way in anyhow. The chaos lasted for 15 minutes. Disentangling the bodies took four hours. At the end of that time, 173 men, women and children died. Not a single airplane had appeared over the uh, city of London. Not a single bomb had been dropped. An enemy attack didn't kill a soul. Fear did. Fear. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been afraid? If you have, just go, mm-hmm. And friends, let me just say this. Not all fear is bad. You know, there's good fear and there's bad fear. Uh, there's a kind of good fear that can actually help you survive. You know, good fear teaches you to respect the right people. Amen? You want to fight with a guy over a cab in New York City and you realize he's an MMA world champion, uh, you know, I save your life. Just kind of back up a little bit. Uh, good fear alerts you when you're in real danger. But then there are bad fears. Bad fears paralyze us from doing what we ought to do. Man, bad fear almost always exaggerates situations and creates an almost constant sense of worry. And just to make sure you know the difference between good and bad fear, I'm going to run through a couple scenarios and you tell me uh, if the type of fear I describe is good fear or bad fear. Just yell it out. Y'all ready? First of all, the fear that keeps children from playing in the middle of a busy street. Good fear or bad? Good. That's good. Uh, fear that keeps you from interviewing for your all-time dream job. Good fear or bad? Bad. bad. Uh, the fear that keeps you from expressing your true feelings to the police officer who stopped you for speeding, even though there are people going much faster than you who did not have an out-of-state license plate. Good fear or bad? <laughs> That's a good fear. Now, I know, you know, I know you want to tell that guy, but you end up in another jail and that'd be a bad thing. Now, there is a, such thing as a good fear, but you know, the fear we most often face is not a good thing. In fact, the Bible says over and over again that fear threatens to keep people from trusting God and obeying God. And let me tell you, some of us are grappling with that right now. Some of us here today are dealing with relational fears, marriage or family situations that are teetering on the brink right now. Some of us have long-term care situations. You're making decisions for an aging mom or an aging dad, or you got a son or daughter who's out of control and you don't know what to do. That's relationally, you're afraid. There are people among us who have vocational fears. You're afraid of a layoff or a job loss or a cutback. Uh, I talked to a friend who works in our office this week. 
who told me that when she worked for a major airline, she went to work one morning, her supervisor told her, you've been laid off. They cried together and then he accompanied her to her office where she packed her desk and he gave her two weeks pay and said goodbye. Maybe you're dealing with a situation at work that just seems impossible. You just don't see any good end of this picture. That's a vocational fear. Some of us are dealing with a medical fear. You've had the treatments, you had the surgery. The doctors say there's nothing more we can do. Some of us are wondering right now, is this gonna be my last Easter coming up? Or, or my last Easter with my mom or my dad? Some of us are facing educational fears. You know, you applied to the college, you applied to the grad school, the program, but you haven't been accepted yet. You're afraid you're not gonna be. Many of us have security fears this, these days. I mean, think of the mass shooting in Aurora, Illinois that happened just 10 days ago. For some of us, it's a terror fear. Some of us, it's a deployment fear or a hurricane. <laughs> you know, I bet as I've been talking, some of y'all are thinking, I know why God led me to come to church today. I know why God led me here today because I am living in the grip of some fear that is trying to choke me out. And yet, can anybody here tell me what is the most repeated command in the scripture? Yeah, let me give you a hint. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's not even what Jesus called the great commandment that we studied during the Soul Detox series. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that was the most important command. It's not the one that is repeated the most. The, the most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid. And friends, that's a good word for all of us today, especially if you're facing a great fear today. Now, I want us to unpack a story from the life of one of the greatest leaders of all time. His name is Moses. His story is in Exodus chapter 14. Who brought a Bible with it? Let me see who brought your Bible. Hold it up if you got one on every campus. Come on now. Y'all came armed and dangerous tonight, right? Exodus chapter 14, second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Uh, if you want to grab one of our blue Bibles we have uh, in the chairs here close by, uh, just go to page 56. You'll be good to go. This story is about a time when the people of God were being choked out by fear and what they did to break that hold. Now, I bet the minute I start describing this story, many of you will know this story because you've seen the movie, right? Uh, this is just a, just a few days before this story takes place. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt where they had been slaves for 400 years. Man, they cried out to God for help and their prayers were answered. And I mean, just a few days later, they arrive at the, at the edge of the Red Sea and they look across this huge body of water. It's like an uncrossable barrier. Think of this wall behind me now, like the Red Sea. They don't see any way to get over it, around it, through it. It's just, it's huge. Then they look behind them and they see the sun glinting off the helmets of, and the soldiers and the chariots and they recognize the banners in the distance and man, it's the Egyptian army. Now, apparently Pharaoh watched a couple million slaves escape his empire on their way to the promised land and it occurred to him, the man, I just lost a ton of free labor capacity. And so he changes his mind and he sends the army out to kill Moses and bring those people back and put them to work. So imagine where they were. Red Sea's here. Behind us is the Egyptian army. We're caught in the middle. And I mean, honestly, it's only been just a few days since God used Moses to launch 10 extraordinary plagues, expressions of power that brought the Egyptian empire to its knees and motivated Pharaoh to free God's people. But just a few days later, got an uncrossable sea before them. They got a vengeful army behind them and they are being choked out by fear. Look at verse 10. 
As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up <coughs> and there were Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. But listen to what they cried out to their leader. Listen to the sarcasm that they, that they uh, blast all over Moses. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Man, what have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? Did they say that? Because, I mean, when I read the story, it sounds like they are crying out to God night and day for help. Please rescue us. We want to be rescued and responsible for our own lives. We want to live free to live and worship God instead of in this slavery and subjugation to the Egyptians. But fear is now causing them to remember the past a lot better than it actually was. And then look what happens next. They go straight to the worst case scenario. Man, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. Now, apparently they never heard of the give me liberty or give me death thing. But friends, you read this story. Has anybody died yet? Anybody died yet? No. Now, this is what counselors call catastrophizing. Fear pushes you to assume the worst. I mean, just assume the worst thing that you can imagine is already happening, even when it's not. Now, it's true, their back is up against the wall. But the reason their back is against the wall is that God has miraculously worked in their lives over and over and over and over again. And that's why they're free today. But instead, you know, when they get their back against the wall of saying, wow, I wonder how God is going to get me out of this one. They default to the very natural reaction of starting to take laps around this cycle of fear. They just give in to fear, man. They become afraid. Fear starts to own them. And then they express that fear by being sarcastic. You know, they just start thinking in sarcastic ways, saying sarcastic things. And then uh, once that kind of takes hold, they, they start, you know, kind of imagining the worst case scenario. They're, they're assuming just the worst possible thing that can happen. And friends, I'm telling you, there's been a number of times in my life when my back's been up against the wall and I've had to deal with fear. And, you know, it could be a good fear that gets you praying and moving. But I also know how easy it is to let fear morph into a bad fear. And then, you know what? Put that back up and leave it up for us, please. Uh, you know, once that fear starts morphing, it turns into sarcasm. Can you believe what they did? Oh, yeah. Like that's going to help the situation. What idiot came up with that idea? You ever heard that before? Sir, you never heard that, have you, baby? <laughs> Somebody told me I had the gift of sarcasm. It's a spiritual gift. It comes from the devil. But anyway, I'm just saying, all right? Now, you know, once you, once you give into this critical, sarcastic spirit, you know, you start just imagining the worst case scenarios. You know, everything I love is just going to pieces. And it's not even true. There's no evidence of that. And, 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 but if you just let your stuff start going around and around and around this cycle, man, every time your fear gets darker and darker until you start to fear God, God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God doesn't give a rip. And then you get sarcastic about God. And then you start believing the worst about God. And friends, I'm telling you, all it takes is a couple of laps on this fear cycle, which is totally understandable. But I'm telling you, it's just not productive. It's totally understandable that you get caught in this vortex. It's just not productive. I mean, what you really need 
uh, when, when we ride around the block a few times on this fear cycle, it's for somebody who loves you to say, whoa, 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 bro. Man, if you continue to feed this fear and sarcasm and catastrophize, where is that going to take you? And is that really where you want to go? I mean, look at this passage again. Look at verse 10. You know, it says the Israelites were just terrified. Man, when, when you're afraid, do you tend to make really good decisions or really bad decisions? Good or bad? When you're scared to death. Bad. You know, the Peace Corps has a policy manual for volunteers who serve in countries that have rainforests, and it gives them instructions on what to do if you're ever attacked by anaconda. Now, um, I, don't, I don't know that this is actually true, <laughs> what I'm getting ready to tell you, but I do have a missionary friend who uh, was serving on the border of India and Nepal, and he said he saw an anaconda with a full-size buck inside it. And the snake swallowed the whole deer, horns and all. Crazy. I know that's true because he had a witness, all right? But here's what the Peace Corps, this article said you should do if you get attacked by a snake like this. If you're attacked by an anaconda, don't run. The snake is faster than you are. Uh, lie flat on the ground with your arms tight by your side, with your legs tucked tightly together and your chin tucked down to your chest. The snake will come and start to nudge you and climb all over your body. Do not panic. <laughs> After the snake has examined you, the snake will begin to swallow you feet first. It's always feet first. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles and do not panic. The, fake, the snake will begin to suck your feet and legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly, with as little movement as possible, take your knife and slide it into the side of the snake's mouth and then just rip up with all your strength, severing its head. The most important thing, be sure you have your knife. <laughs> now, friends, it is totally natural when you face something horrible, to be afraid. But when you face something horrible, if you do what comes natural, you will almost always do the opposite of what actually helps. And then you'll give in to sarcasm. I mean, listen to sarcasm in verse 11. They said to Moses, was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Dude, you couldn't find any graveyards for us in Egypt? Funerals cheaper in the desert? Is that how it is? That's why you brought us out here to die? It, it, Anything constructive? Anything constructive in this? Look at verse 12. Didn't we tell you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. Is that what they really said? I mean, did you read this story? You know, that is not what they were saying when the Egyptians had their boot on their throat. No, they are crying out to God. Help us, help us, help us. They're crying out to Moses, get us out of here. But now they're facing the changes. They're facing the changes that God is bringing into their life and they're allowing the challenges of reality to push them into this cycle of fear. And so now they are tossing these sarcasm grenades at everybody they can toss one at and they are pretending that life was better in the old days than it really was. And friends, let me tell you what I've learned in marriage and family and work and relationships. As tempting as it is to get sarcastic when you're afraid, sarcasm never helps. It just complicates the situation. It makes it worse. I mean, you know how it is. Some of y'all have a business partnership with somebody and you went into that partnership just dreaming of how great it's going to be and how good this was going to be. And man, you were each other's biggest fans. But then, you know, the economy gets tough and you become afraid 
And what do you do? You, you start becoming sarcastic and you start tearing down this partner that you used to cheer for. Some of you know what it's like, you know, to, to, to get the family together for dinner at a holiday or a birthday party or something like that. And then somebody's going to say something and there's always that one who's going to react to it. And then it's going to start building on that cycle. And then somebody's going to get up and they're going to start slinging those, you know, sarcasm grenades behind them and out the door they go slam the door. And I can tell you, after many, many years of ministry, I've seen church situations where people get sarcastic with church leaders, where they get sarcastic with each other because things didn't go exactly the way they wanted it to go or this decision didn't get made exactly the way they wanted it made. And they go to sarcasm. Question, does that ever help? Does it ever actually help the situation? Is it Christ-like? Now, friends, when you're afraid there's a temptation to become sarcastic. And then to make matters worse, you're tempted to start catastrophizing and imagining the worst case scenario when it doesn't even exist. And man, when you get to that place, you get to that place, you start predicting where all this is going to go and you start imagining the worst possible outcome. That's what the Israelites are doing in verse 12. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in this desert. And again, nobody's died yet. Not a soul. But that's fear talking. They're catastrophizing and they're letting it grow into panic and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Now, friends, how many times in your life have you let yourself focus on the worst possible outcome and it actually helped anything? You know, one philosopher said, my life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter six. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Jesus says fear and worry are just unproductive, man. They don't solve problems. You could use that energy in much more productive ways. And so the Israelites are out in the desert. The army's coming. The Red Sea's blocking any path of escape. They start getting sarcastic with Moses. They're imagining the worst. We're all going to die. And at this point, Moses puts on just a clinic on fear management. He's just like, time out. Oh, time out, everybody. None of this is helping. I know you're afraid, but you got to know that you have a choice about how you respond when you're afraid. And man, in verse 13, we're going to find out why Moses is such a famous leader. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. I know our back is against the wall, but we need to stand firm. And if we do stand firm, we will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to us today. In the middle of that panic, do not be afraid. Stand firm, because if we do, we will see the Lord bring deliverance today. Man, he just lays out these three steps to get the people that he loves out of that cycle of fear onto another cycle. He's going to get them to not be afraid and stand firm and then look for the deliverance the Lord is going to bring you today. Moses is teaching us to get off that scared, sarcastic, catastrophizing cycle and replace it with something that actually works. Man, you need, you need to learn how to fear not. You need to master your fear. And you need to determine once you do to stand firm, even if you are afraid, and then patiently expect God to help. Now, Moses is saying, look, if the God who brought down the 10 plagues on Egypt is with us, what do we have to be afraid of? 
I mean, this is very similar to what Jesus taught his disciples in the middle of a terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee one night. The ship is like this. These guys are scared to death. Jesus is sleeping on a pillow up in the bow of the boat. Man, we just read through this together. If you read on the New Testament challenge, we just read it this week. All the disciples are panicking. They are professional fishermen. They're panicking. They wake him up and Jesus says, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Do you know who I am? If God is inside the boat, you don't have to be afraid no matter what's happening outside the boat. Amen. Amen. Fear not. Stand firm. Expect your God to help. Dude, that's a better plan, especially when your back's up against the wall and it comes right out of scripture. So let's break this down for a second. We want to develop a fear not mentality. Everybody say fear not. Now, some of you are wondering right now, is that even possible? I mean, when your back's up against the wall, is that possible? It was for Moses. And Moses didn't have the Holy Spirit in him like you do. Amen. Amen. If you're a follower of Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit in you, bro. Moses didn't have that. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit in you is sufficient to tame those wild, irrational fears that just run us sometimes. I mean, take a look at this picture. Anybody remember this event? You remember this? The miracle on the Hudson. Captain Sully Sullenberg, who looks a lot like Tom, Tom Hanks, if you saw, saw the movie, right? <laughs> he takes off a U.S. Airlines flight from LaGuardia, New York City, with 155 people on board. His airplane hits a flock of birds that deprive him of power while they're trying to climb out. He's got to make a quick decision. What do you do in a moment like that? Engines are failing. What do you do? Oh, you panic. Get on the floor and suck your thumb and roll around in the fetal position for a few minutes. Do you think he got on the intercom and just sarcastically said, this stupid airplane won't even run with a couple hundred birds in the engine. Who made this piece of junk? Do you think he goes to the worst case scenario? Hey, everybody, if you believe in God, you better start praying because you're going to see him in about 90 seconds. <laughs> no. Now, he could have done all that. That's the fear of sight. That's the natural way, isn't it? I mean, that's the way we all feel pulled in situations like that. But because he had a disciplined heart and mind, this brother's got thousands of hours of flight time. He has trained for this emergency his whole life. So with no fear, he calmly tells the tower, we're going into the Hudson. And 90 seconds before he lands that plane in the river, he tells his passengers how to stand firm. Brace for impact. Not, you better call your wife if you got one, man. I'm saying. Brace for impact. We're going to get through this. Suck it up and brace for impact. And then he lands that airplane because he didn't abandon his post. He, he chose to fear not and stand firm. And let me tell you, God was with him. I don't know if he prayed. I don't know if he's a praying guy, but I can tell you God was with him. Amen. <laughs> God was with him. Now, listen, the apostle Paul said almost the same thing to a fearful young leader named Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, Paul, Paul said, Tim, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. God has given us the Holy Spirit, who is a, power, who is a spirit of power and love. And say it with me, everybody. Self-discipline. Now, friends, the New Testament calls self-discipline the fruit of the Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit, who is inside every follower of Jesus, is trying to bear fruit in your life. And one of those fruits that he wants to show in your life is this inner strength that renders you panic-free. 
Man, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't might have the Holy Spirit or on a good day you got the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not a follower of Jesus yet. But he is a source of power. And one of the things he produces is self-discipline that will keep you off that fear and sarcasm and catastrophizing cycle when you tap into that power. You know, Pastor Charles Stanley is the pastor at First Baptist Church up in Atlanta. And early in his ministry, he went through just a season of terrible opposition. I mean, you know, it was just terrible. And during that time, an, an elderly woman from his church invited him to come over and have lunch with her at the retirement center where she lived. And he was very, very busy and it's on a lot of pressure, but, but he thought, you know what, I'm gonna go. And so he went and had lunch with this lady. And after lunch, she said, come with me. And she showed him a picture. Now, this is an artist's rendering of Daniel in the lion's den. And she said, now, you know what, when, a, when a, you know, a woman who's 100, 150 years old says to you, honey, what do you see? Look at this picture. Tell me what you see. And Dr. Stanley is looking at that picture and he said, well, <clears throat> the lions all have their mouths closed. And so that looks like divine intervention to me. And Daniel standing with his hands behind his back. So it looks like he's calm. He's at peace. He's trusting the Lord. And she said, preacher, you see anything else? <laughs> he's like, I, I knew there was something else, but I just couldn't see it, man. I, I, did, I didn't know what she was going for. And she put her hand on his shoulder and said, what I want you to see is that Daniel doesn't have his eyes on the lions. He has his eyes on the Lord, which doesn't mean our back will never be against the wall. It just means when our back is against the wall, the Lord is with us. Amen. So we can stand firm. Everybody say stand firm. Even when you're afraid, you can stand firm. Now, some of you are in a jam right now. And let me tell you, fear is creeping in around the edges of your heart. And you're feeling that temptation right now to get sarcastic and to start fantasizing about how bad everything's going to turn out. And my best advice for you is to do exactly what Moses told the people of Israel to do. Dude, stand firm. I mean, if you do nothing more right now than stand firm as a man or woman of God, firm in your faith, firm in your convictions, Firm in your belief that your God is greater than any challenge you will ever have to face. And your God has plans to do some really good things in your life. Dude, if you believe that, trust that. Fear not. Stand firm. And then patiently expect God's help. Everybody say expect. expect. Looking forward to it. Amen? Amen. Waiting on it to come. Know it's on the way. Listen, when you're afraid... What you really believe about God is revealed. Amen. When you are afraid, what you really believe about God is revealed. You got one or two choices in that moment. You can freak out and you can just God doesn't know. God doesn't care. God doesn't see. God can't help. Or you can focus on your faith. And man, you can pray and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to work this out. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I know this. The word says that God is for me and that God is with me and God loves me. And God has a track record all throughout history of showing up for his sons and his daughters when they get in a jam. And I just believe he'll do that for me, too. Friends, the Israelites are trapped their backs against the wall. Egyptian army bearing down from one side, Red Sea blocking them on the other side. And Moses expects them to respond with courage because they have seen what God can do.
Did you notice that Moses never tells them, I just got a telegraph from the Lord. Here's what he's going to do. He doesn't say, relax, everybody. God's going to part the Red Sea. No details. Stand firm. Wait and see. Now, here's the tricky thing, guys, about fear. God tends to wait until we demonstrate our faith and we stand firm in him before. Everybody say before. Before before he steps in with some kind of supernatural intervention. Before he answers the prayer. Before he supplies. Before he provides. Before he sends a solution. God waits for us to stand in, stand firm in faith before he starts answering prayers. Now, all of the Israelites are freaking out, sarcastic, catastrophizing. And in this situation, one guy, that's all it took. One guy in that family says, I'm taking another path. You can panic if you want to. You can run out there to the Egyptian army and surrender back back to slavery if you want to. But I'm trusting God today. I am trusting God. Look at verse 15. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to what? Move on, man. Tell them to get moving. I've heard them crying, complaining, whining, praying. Done with that. You don't need to pray to me anymore. I heard your prayer the first time. I've sent the answer. Moses has the instructions. Now get moving. Friends, they step into that water of the Red Sea not knowing what God is going to do. It's crazy. That's where we're going. Follow me. And man, because they acted on their faith instead of fear, They got to witness one of the most breathtaking miracles in the Bible. You know, they get to the edge of the Red Sea and God tells Moses, hold up your staff. And look at verse 21. When he held that staff up, it says that God caused a strong east wind to start howling, man. And it blew that water back, literally blew it back until there was a path through the Red Sea. And two million Israelites were able to walk through that Red Sea on dry ground. God didn't take them around the Red Sea. He didn't build a bridge over the Red Sea. He didn't put a tunnel under the Red Sea. God took them through the very thing that had paralyzed them with fear. Now, can you imagine what it must have been like walking through those walls of water? And then get to the other shore and this incredible worship service breaks out and everybody is singing and praising God and slapping each other on the back and saying, dude, can you believe what just happened for us? Can you believe what our God did for us? And you know how the story ends, right? The Egyptian army looks at them going through that Red Sea and they think, well, this is just dumb luck. This is some freaky luck thing. And them dumb Jewish slaves can get through there. So can we. And so they just rush into the channel that got opened up. And at that point, God tells Moses, just put the staff down, bro. And when he did, the wind stopped. The walls of water come crushing down. Dude, it is just shock and awe for the Egyptians, terrorists on one side of the Red Sea. But for the people of Israel on the other side, it is rejoicing and celebrating. And man, can you believe this? Can you believe how God made a way for us? Can you believe how God saved us? Now, what do you think it did for Moses' faith? He's the only guy saying, fear not, stand firm, expect God to show up any minute. And dude, then God comes through. How do you think that affected him? I'll tell you. It made it easier for him to trust God the next time. It made it easier for him to trust God the next time his back was up against the wall. What do you think it did for the people of Israel? Friends, the people of Israel learned to trust God by trusting God. 
and obeying God. That's what gets revealed when you are afraid. Will you trust God and obey God or not? And they learned to trust God by trusting God and obeying God. I have a niece who lives out in Montana. A couple years ago, Sarah and I were out there and um, we were meeting with her people. You know, the Norwegians, they like to get together every now and then, go to the long house. And so we're out there, right? And so uh, we're out there, we're having a big old time. And then Sarah, my niece, who is named after the great one, uh, you know, um, she says, uh, Uncle Cam, can I ask you a question? And I was like, sure. Now she's a single mom. She has five beautiful children. They watch our services on the live stream. So can I just say welcome, Derricka, Jade, Ava, Maya, Adam. Glad to have you in church with us tonight. Way to go, all right? But my, my uh, niece, Sarah, is a busy single mom. I mean, she, she's providing for her family with no help. No help. Don't ask me how I feel about that. I don't want to talk about it right now. That's a godly woman. She is taking care of her kids with no help from anybody else. And thank God we live in a country that helps moms in that situation with food and electricity. Now, Sarah is very quiet, but she is very strong. And she's going to do whatever it takes to take care of her family. So she got a job as an assistant at a real estate company just to get a paycheck and support her family. And, and she was so helpful and she had to answer so many questions while she was there. She just finally decided to get a real estate license so that she could be more helpful around the office. And so she got a real estate license and became an agent. And to her great surprise and everybody else's surprise, she started selling houses. Did I mention she's naturally quiet? But she's praying. And her back's against the wall with these five kids. And, and God starts blessing. And she has become really successful. So much so that her income began to threaten her ability to get government assistance with food and heat. Did I mention she lives in Montana? It's four degrees out there. They're having a heat wave right now. Four degrees. Let me show you this picture. That ain't grits, y'all. Okay, I'm just saying, that's no, right? Now, <clears throat> she pulls me aside and she says, Uncle Cam, if I make any more money, I'm gonna lose this government assistance. And I got five kids and, and you know, man, they're all dependent on me. Do you think I should keep this job if it affects my ability to get government financial help with food and heat? She said, I think God wants me to do this, but I'm afraid. I'm just afraid if I stop taking this assistance and I don't earn enough for my family, I mean, how am I going to provide? I'm all they've got. And that's my problem. What do you think? And I said, Sarah, what if you stop taking the assistance and God blesses your faith and you earn more than enough to provide for your family? What would that bold faith teach your children? What would backing down because of fear teach your children? I was like, Sarah, you're a bright, gifted person. I mean, you're special. I have all the confidence in the world in you. But the question is, are you willing to say no to fear and stand firm on what you believe God is leading you to do and then trust him to show up or not? And she said, thanks. <laughs> and that was, that was the end of the conversation, right? And I said, well, let me pray for you. And so I prayed for her. And I just said, just let me know what you decide. You know what she decided? She decided to pull the trigger, man. That's a bold soul right there. And I am so proud of her, man. She cut up her food and heat card. 
and threw her heart into the fear and not stand firm, God will show up crowd. And God showed up. And today, three or four years later, there are 146 agents in that company. She's in the top 20. And I'm telling you, man, God, yeah, praise the Lord, man. God, God showed up. And I mean, it's not like, you know, he dumped a, a you know, a, a, a truckload of money or anything. It's like every month she's waiting on God to show up. But God has blessed. And man, she's taking care of her family. And her children have watched her just put on a clinic of trusting God and then watching God provide just over and over and over again. She has taken her five kids on an adventure of courageous faith and they will be marked forever because of the nobility of their mother. Her colleagues ask, how do you generate all these customers? And she's like, God sends them to me. And they're like, okay, yeah, we know that, but, but really, how do you generate these customers? God sends them to me. I mean, I got a friend who sells houses out of the landing. She says exactly the same thing. Anybody want to say amen? amen? Now, here's a single mom who is getting no help from that, their, her kid's dad. No help. But she is getting a ton of help from her father in heaven because she said no to fear and stood firm and God showed up for her. And friends, if God showed up for Israel and God showed up for Sarah, when fear arises, and your back is against the wall and you trust him. He'll show up for you, too. Amen. Amen. Now, in just a moment, our campus pastors are going to you know, take the lead on all of our different campuses in a special time of prayer. And we're going to give you an, after that, we're going to give you an invitation to name your fear. So God can tame your fear. So let me pray for you, Father. We want to be bold. We want to have bold faith. We want to have unshakable faith. We want to be, you know, like the disciples going to the hurricane. But if we go into it with you, Lord, we, we just fear no evil because you are with us. Your rod, your staff, they comfort us. Make us those kinds of people, Lord. Help, help us to say no to the fear cycle and say yes to the fear not. Stand firm. Expect you to show up cycle. And bless us as we do, we pray in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now listen, just so you know, <clears throat> just so you know, I'm throwing my heart in the ring with Moses. I'm going with the fear not, stand firm, expect God to show up because the best days are ahead crowd. Amen? amen. What crowd are you in? What crowd are you in? Man, we serve the God who did the Passover miracle, the Red Sea miracle, the water from the rock miracle, the manna from heaven miracle, the Christmas miracle, the Good Friday miracle, the resurrection miracle. Why wouldn't I believe he could part the waters for me? Amen? Amen. Now, some of you are living in fear right now. Your back is against the wall and it is decision time for you. And you can just keep on that natural fear and sarcasm and worst case scenario cycle with everybody else. Or you can choose to get on the fear not plan and stand firm in your faith and expect God's help. And I want to pray for anybody here today who feels like their back is against the wall. I want to pray for anybody who's ready to get on a better plan. Fear not. Stand firm. Expect God. Because if you believe that, when we pray, help will be on the way. So as an expression of your faith in God, if your back is against the wall right now and you want me to pray for you, would you just stand up right now so I can pray for you? Way to go, man. Way to go. Way to go. 
Way to go. Let's encourage these folks, man. Way to go, man. Way to go. Way to go. Now, if you're still seated, I want you just to look at one of these folks and pray with me that God will show up as they put their faith in him. Father, the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He is a liar, and he whispers those lies to us all the time. And sadly, we believe it, and we allow ourselves to get blinded by fear. And then, you know, we turn to an attitude that just dishonors you and dishonors everybody else. And then we just live under this, you know, this expectation of the worst possible thing, even though we have a God who knows and loves us, even though we have a Jesus who hears our every prayers, who knows how many hairs there are on our hair, head, who cares for us more than anything else in this world. And so I pray, God, that those of us who are standing today will put our trust in you, that we will stand firm in our faith in you, that we will live with a sense of expectation that you can solve this problem, you can heal this situation, you can give us the strength, Lord, to move through this in a way that will cause our spiritual stock to go up in our family, up at our business, up in our community. And so, Lord, we will sense on the inside how you feel about us every day, regardless of what's going on on the outside. And we pray this, Lord, in the strong name of Jesus. Now, everybody else stand up. Everybody else stand up. Father, we want to be that church. We want to be that church that absolutely believes your word is true, that absolutely believes your spirit is in us, that absolutely believes your power is sufficient for any challenge. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody here today who has never given their life to Christ because they are afraid, that, Lord, they will attack that fear with faith, that they will refuse to be paralyzed by faith one more minute. Lord, that they will stand firm in what they have come to know is true about Jesus, that he is God in a human body, Lord, that he died on a cross and rose from the dead so that our sins could be forgiven. And if there's anybody who's been blocked from that life indeed that Jesus came to give, I pray, God, today they will attack that fear with faith. I pray, God, if there's anybody here who is carrying a burden alone, that they will realize they don't have to do that. And they will come now and name that fear so they can be free. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, Lord. Amen.